Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. Here at Our Lord's Work, community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And what we're going to look at today ties into being on mission with Jesus. Every Christian, from the youngest to the oldest, is on mission with Jesus. And we've seen that Jesus is the supreme example that we follow, isn't he? In all things. In a life of holiness and obedience to the Father, as well as ministry, spirit-empowered kingdom ministry. And so last week, we saw in our fourth part on the series, the healing ministry of Jesus. And we quickly looked at seven different aspects of the healing ministry of Jesus. And we saw primarily he did John 5.19. What's John 5.19 talk about? Remember I said I wanted to see it engraved on our hearts and tattooed on our, our memories. Jesus does what he sees the Father doing. Philip Suarez was praying that this morning. And so that really was the The fountainhead, the source of his healing ministry was everywhere he went. He was saying, Father, what are you doing? Help me see what you're doing. Help me see who you're touching, who you want to heal. And we saw briefly that Jesus turns to his disciples, and this is what we're going to really focus on today, and he commissions his disciples then and now to carry on his healing ministry. It doesn't stop. And so today we're going to look at this fifth part in the series, how Jesus multiplied himself by raising up disciples and sending them out to do kingdom ministry and to make disciples as he did. And we'll see that Jesus used a different method than what we're accustomed to. And I continue to try to lean into this and learn. He used what's called a rabbinical method of instruction. We'll explain more of this below, but it's very different. It's a come alongside and watch how I do it. That's a rabbinical method, and we'll be focusing on that. And we're going to interweave practical ways as we look at Jesus as the great multiplier, the great disciple maker. We'll look at practical ways that you and I can also join in that multiplication as we disciple and mentor others. I want to say something today because I'm having these thoughts each week. The professor in me, I love providing slides and doing these things, but I've been thinking, and I want to hear from some of you in the the coming days, I want us to use our Bibles. And so I'm really struggling with providing slides every week that we just kind of sit there and look at the slides. And so I'm actually considering experimenting and not doing scripture slides. Some of you might go, well, that's, I'm not used to that. I want us to get used to working through our Bible and handling our physical copies of the Bible. That almost sounds like I'm speaking antique language there, right? 
I want to encourage people to use the pew Bibles that we have here and to bring your own Bible. Could be a compact Bible, could be a study Bible, but something happens when you're interacting with God in this book and then you get home, you're familiar with, oh, I know where John 5.19 is. Oh, I know where Matthew 9 is. Oh, I know where Psalm 42 is that we pray. So I want us to get really familiar with the pages of this book so that on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and whenever it is you spend time with the Lord, there's a familiarity. What do you think about that? And I'll probably provide some slides on outline and some things like that, some visuals, but I just, I've got this sense that God wants us in the book like never before. And so we need to just be immersed in that. We need to teach our kids that and we need to mentor and disciple other people in the book. So today we're going to look at four components of Jesus' approach to multiplying himself. And very simply, they're pray, call, train, and send. The first, Jesus prayed before selecting his disciples. So if you want to look at Mark 1, 35. And yes, I do have it up here on a slide. Connie touched on these. And we've mentioned it repeatedly. Because for the rabbi, Jesus, this was critical. Jesus prayed before selecting his disciples. This was his regular practice. Connie talked about this a few weeks ago. It was his holy habit. Mark 1.35 says this, In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, a remote place, and there he prayed. Look at Luke 5, verses 15 through 16. Luke's rendition of this. Again, showing how important prayer was to Jesus, the Son of God. God in the flesh was a person of prayer. Luke 5, 15 and 16. But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread Abroad, and many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. Verse 16, but he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. So we see in the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, deep engagement with people. He was active, he was involved, he was laying hands on people, he was encouraging, he was teaching, he was driving evil spirits out of people, as we saw with the Gadarene demoniac. But Friends, he came back to the place of prayer over and over again. One of my favorite quotes on prayer by this Eastern Orthodox man of prayer named Theophon, and his name means to manifest the presence of God. Theophon the recluse says this, prayer is the test of everything. Prayer is also the source of everything. Prayer is the driving force of everything. Prayer is also the director of everything. If prayer is right, everything is right. For prayer will not allow anything to go wrong. It's beautiful there. Theophon is basically saying that prayer infuses everything. And if we're connected to the Father, then that makes everything else come into place. You're connected with God. You're in obedience. You're immersed in his word. You're spending time with him. You're hearing his voice. 
That's what sets everything right. And Jesus is the example of that, isn't he? So he prayed regularly. This was his practice. Look at Luke 6. At verse 12, Jesus also prayed before selecting. He prayed for guidance and direction. So it was his regular practice, but now he's praying specifically before he picks his disciples. And again, we've touched on some of these things in the past weeks, but I want us to revisit it. I want us to be able to walk through these passages, even with someone else, so that we could teach them the way that Jesus multiplied himself. Luke 6, 12 through 16. Now during those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray again, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles, those who were sent. And he lists, Luke lists here, Simon and Andrew and James. But friends, he spent the night in prayer. He was saying, Father, most likely, who is it that you have for me to pick? Out of this ragtag group of people that are around me, fishermen, tax collectors, people even on the margins of society. Who is it you want me to select? And we know from the rest of Scripture, if you read John 17, Jesus prayed and conversed with the Father. John chapter 17 is a whole prayer that Jesus is praying and conversing with God, and we have it recorded. So perhaps he's doing the same thing here in Luke 6 as he's crying out to the Father. He's saying, Father, I know that you want to multiply what I've initiated. The kingdom is coming, and these ordinary, broken people that you've brought into my life, I'm going to select them and impart what you've given to me into their lives. And then they're going to go regionally, and before it's over, they're going to go to the ends of the earth. So if we're following this example of multiplication we should start with prayer. And I actually want us to take a moment to do this because I think God is eager to do, to multiply, to look at what, to do what we're looking at here. So I want us to take a moment and I want you, just like Jesus did, I want you to close your eyes and just say, Father, who is it in my life, in my circle, that you would want me to invest in. And Father, I ask you to speak to people right now. Father, give us the name of the person, show us their face, highlight them. Who is that person? Okay, let me just ask, how many of you sensed this is a person that I could invest in? Let me just see you to wave at me. Friends, I think if we will devote ourselves to this, again, this is how Jesus did it. 
if we will do this simple thing, something happens. And I think that we're on the threshold right now as a church, as a community, that if we'll do this simple thing that any of us can practice, the Lord has some things for us. The Lord will multiply. Again, I don't know, you know why it works this way, but there is something about a simple investment of time and focus with someone. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. I'm going to give some practical tips on how you do it. It's not rocket science. It's not difficult. Many of us might say, well, I really don't have anything to invest. Yeah, you do. You actually will be surprised, and you will discover what you have to give and invest as you do it. The Lord will give you unbelievable things and resources, and before you know it, you'll be a disciple maker. And we've seen this, some of us, and I know this has happened around the church, and it continues to, but I think the Lord has something special in his heart as we enter this next season as a church and I have seen church communities change just by doing this very thing. And I know this burns in the hearts of many people among us. So if that's you, I'm just pouring gasoline on it. But I want to invite us as a church to do this. And I learned much of this 25 years ago at the Evanston Vineyard in Chicago. And we learned from these women's and men's groups that were happening. It changed the church. It changed the whole face of the church. It drew people in. It welcomed new people. It trained and mobilized people in ways that I had never seen. It led people into inner healing as we shared our stories and prayed with one another and studied the Bible. So I am expectantly looking at how the Lord's going to multiply you and me as we do this. So the second thing that Jesus does in addition to praying... And friends, he prayed. He prayed. He prayed desperately at times. He was falling on his knees before the Father and praying and, Lord, help. Father, help me. Father, is there? Is this the only way through? He prayed with anguish. So if we think that Jesus kind of floated through life, he sailed through life, and he had some prayers here and there. No, he fully God, fully human. He clung to the Father in prayer like we should. A second thing Jesus did, he called his disciples. Look at Matthew 4, 18 and 19. And he called his disciples to do several things, but the first was to follow. Look at Matthew 4, 18 and 19. Boy, there's something about getting back to these basics, isn't there, that just stirs the heart? Al, I know this is in your heart, discipleship, just simply reading the Bible with someone else. I know many of you, the Adels, others, this is in your heart, and so I want all of us to say, Lord, help us in this. So Jesus calls his disciples. Look at Matthew 4, 18 and 19. In this passage, Jesus is initiating And they're responding. So Matthew 4, beginning at 18. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Look at their response. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. 
As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. And Jesus called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. There was something magnetic about Jesus. There is something magnetic about Jesus. There's no one like him. And he's come into your life. He may be coming into your life today speaking to you and saying, follow me. And friends, it is worth giving up everything. It is, he has the peace that we need. He has the resources. He has the healing. He has the power. And he's calling us. And this is a daily thing. He calls us regularly, follow me, just as he did with the disciples. One person says this, a guy named Michael Wilkins says, although discipleship was a voluntary matter with other types of master-disciple relationships of the first century, with Jesus, the initiative lay with his call and his choice of those who would be his disciples. The response to the call, listen to this, involves recognition and belief in Jesus, obedience to his summons, and counting the cost a full allegiance to him. The calling of Jesus is the beginning of something new. It means losing one's old life and finding new life in the family of God by obeying the will of the Father. So he called those first disciples and they gave up everything to follow him. They were fully devoted. Look at Mark 3. Jesus called his disciples to follow him, but then this is just rich here. Mark 3, 13 through 14. By the way, I had a couple of people come to mind. As I closed my eyes, I had two people come right into my mind that I'm going to reach out to, and I'm going to nurture the beginnings of that Investing time together, discipling in new ways. So Jesus is calling his disciples. One of my favorite passages in the whole Gospels here, Mark 3, 13 through 14. Jesus went up to the mountain, which we've seen in, in Luke, and he called to him those whom he wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. Look at these four words. What, what's your Bible say there? To be with him. And to be sent out to proclaim the message. Friends, Jesus does not need activists. He's not looking, first and foremost, for people to go out and get busy. This text shows right here, that with his original disciples, he called them to be with him. And that should go to work on us. I find myself oftentimes, Lord, I'm doing your work. I'm not liking people much. <laughs> I'm frustrated. You're not doing the things. And the Lord says, well, it's because you're not doing it right. <laughs> I'm calling you to be with me. Why don't you get up tomorrow and let's have a fresh start? You be with me, and I will fill you, and I'll give you my love. I'll give you my perspective. I'll fill you with my spirit, and then 
you can go and do my work. And I'm like, that's a great idea. I think I'll do that tomorrow and I'll have a different day because I am first and foremost called to be your friend. And that's the way he operates. And yes, we will be more active and busy and we will serve like crazy and we will do the things that he wants us to do. But friends, he calls us to friendship first. That's a good word, isn't it? Right there, Mark 3, 13 and 14. Look at this, John 15, 14 through 15. So you can hang it right there, John 15, 14 through 15. This whole chapter is worth looking at in great detail. You could spend weeks just reading John 15 verse by verse. Matter of fact, you could use John 15 to mentor or disciple someone. You could say, you know what, we're going to get together and we're going to look at John 15 for the next few months. I'll meet you once a week. We'll take it verse by verse. And how about we memorize it together? Let's take a verse at a time. And you and I can memorize John 15 and pray it together. The Bible's full of amazing chapters like this. So there's really no excuse. I don't have a plan. I don't have a degree in multiplying. I haven't been to seminary for six years and dried up. <laughs> to get my joke there. Some of us are called to seminary and some of us are not. The Lord has a seminary and it's called being with him. So it was with the apostles, right? They said, these guys aren't schooled. They're not learned. But they recognized that they had been with Jesus. John 15, 14 through 15. Jesus says to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing Boy, I don't know what is going on. This stuff is getting in my heart. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. So as followers of Jesus, yes, we do serve, but he looks at us and he says, we're friends. Eli, we're friends. Here's my perspective. Here's the person I want to touch and reach. Is there anything like that in the universe? That's why I've said the church has the best thing going on the planet. And it's the gospel of the kingdom and it's friendship with the Lord of the universe. Nothing better than that right there. This Swiss Reformed theologian says this. His name's Hans Wieter. He says, discipleship means entering into a lifelong relationship with Jesus. That's the essence of being called by him. Look at Luke 6.40. Another thing that being called by Jesus entails is to become like him. Luke 6.40. I read out of the New American Standard. It's a little more literal here. Most literal translation, actually, if you're into that. And Luke 6.40 says this. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So to follow Jesus, to be with him, 
to come alongside him, to be his friend, means that you're going to be fully trained. That he, that's his life plan for you, is to be fully trained. And for Christ to be formed in you and for you to be like him. That's the goal. So if you need a little aim, a little vision, life vision, this is it as a Christian. The Father wants to form Christ in you and Jesus wants you to come alongside him and be fully trained, fully equipped for all the things that he has for you. Lastly here, before we look at how Jesus trained his disciples, look at Luke 9, 23 to 24. We're also called to suffer with Jesus. And perhaps for him, Luke 9, 23 to 24. Then Jesus said to them all, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. So we know that when Jesus calls us, and when he called them, that our life becomes cruciform. Your life takes on the shape of the cross. And so the way in is through the cross, through his shed blood, but then the way on. Every day of life, Jesus says, I want you to follow me, and I want you to know what it means to take up the cross and perhaps suffer with me and perhaps suffer for me, but it will be worth it because the cross is the gateway to what? Resurrection. There's no resurrection power without the work of the cross in our lives. One uh, well-known work by a German named Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 1940s who took Hitler head on. He was writing personal letters. This theologian and young pastor named Bonhoeffer, he was writing letters to Hitler Letting him know. Can you imagine that? As Hitler is rising in power and this guy is like pen pals. He said, I am not listening to you. I follow the Lord Jesus. And I will put everything on the line. And so Hitler put him in prison. Ended up killing him. But listen to what Bonhoeffer says in his classic work, Call the Cost of Discipleship, on page 44. Boy, I'm feeling the weight of this this morning. That This is what the Lord wants to draw us into, you and me and all of us. And this guy lived it. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every person must experience, is the call to abandon attachments to the world. It is that dying of the old man, which is the result of their encounter with Christ. As we embark... Upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give our lives over to this death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But the cross meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ 
calls a man or a woman, he bids them come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Martin Luther's who had to leave his monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Christ, the death of the old man at his call. So friends, it's crystal clear in the scriptures. When Christ called those first disciples, they left everything, they put it on the line. The cross was laid on them and their lives and they said, "We're, we're going for it. We're not sure what all that involves, but Jesus is saying the same thing to us here at our Lord's. Will you follow me in the way of the cross? And as your friend and pastor, I've got to tell you, life with Jesus is not always rosy. He does not promise to come into our lives and make everything wonderful and right and give you the greatest job and bring your lost kids back to... He says, take up the cross, follow me. And then he says, I'll give you abundant life. But friends, sometimes we lose this message. Life with Jesus is cruciform. And that's a good word because then every single thing that he commands, there's a promise hidden in it. So if he says, take up your cross and follow me, it means I will empower you to take up your cross. I will give you the strength to do that. So as you were thinking about that person that came to mind, and your role is not to call someone to follow you, but to help that person follow Jesus. That's your role as a disciple maker, a mentor. And it's as simple as this, and you can write this down could put it in your phone to multiply ourselves like Jesus did. The first thing we want to do is help people schedule daily time with Christ. Which means you're going to have to do it. Because you can't give what you don't have. And if you're telling someone, hey, brother, sister, you need to get in his presence every day and open your Bible, then what does that mean? You got to be doing it too. And I'm not laying anything heavy on any of us. We all have time to do that. And it may not mean that you have an hour every morning. You might. But we can all carve out those times, and then we can show someone else. And the Lord, man, he'll give us grace. He longs to be gracious to us. I'm inviting you. I'm not laying anything heavy on you. I'm saying, hey, why wouldn't you spend time with the most beautiful, amazing, interesting person and then show someone else how to do it. So that's the first thing tied to that is some form of Bible reading. I've already mentioned one thing that you could do with this person that you're going to mentor or disciple. This is a little trick that I learned is you could also introduce to the person, hey, why don't you read a psalm one day and then read half a chapter of John the next day and you can rotate back and forth. Why do I do that? Because I get bored. Anybody else get bored? Sometimes I'll read the Bible and my mind just wanders. I'm like, what did I just read? I can't even remember anything. So we kind of have to trick our minds a little bit. And so if you're rotating between chapters like that, a psalm a day, half a chapter of John, maybe a whole chapter, it keeps things, keeps you nimble. So you could 
teach that person that you're mentoring and disciple. And man, that'll take you, what, 150 Psalms? 21 chapters of John? You got plenty there. 21 or 22? Bible people? I just, just as I said, 20, read, you're going, I don't know, man. But that's a lot of book. That's a lot of Bible for someone to learn how to do that. Third thing is just prayer. You don't want to just read your Bible, but you want to pray scripture, right? So as you're in Psalm 1, for example, and you're talking with this person that you're mentoring, you're investing in, you can say, hey, what is it in this Psalm? Let's read it together. And then what's something that stands out to you? And what would stand out to me is being like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And so you could say, hey, let's pray that together. And let's carry that with us for a few days or maybe during the week. Lord, would you make me like a tree firmly planted by streams of water? I would meditate on your word day and night. A last thing here to teach someone as you're discipling and mentoring them is to obey the Holy Spirit throughout the day. Built-in equipment, everything that we need. It's this simple, this straightforward, that the Holy Spirit fills all Christians. So as you're there mentoring someone, you're investing in them, you can remind them the Spirit of God lives in you, the Spirit of truth, the counselor that Jesus left, and the Spirit of God will guide you. Like Paul says, you walk by the Spirit. You listen to the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desires of your flesh. You'll turn from sin, And you'll love God, you'll love people. So it really is as simple as that, those four things. So we don't have any excuses. I don't know how to do it. It's way too difficult. I haven't walked with Jesus for decades. No, I think the Lord wants all of us to be looking around. A third thing here, quickly. Jesus trained his disciples. We're not going to look at these verses for time's sake, but you can... Write this down. Jesus trained his disciples, like we saw in Luke 6, first and foremost to love like he did. Mark 12, 28 through 31 talks about it. Jesus says the sum of the Torah, the instruction that God has given to the people of God, is love for the Lord and love for your neighbor. So Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he did that over and over again. When they got into other things, he said, The Lord has called you, and I've called you, to love God, to love other people. And related to that, John 15, 12 says that we're to love one another. And Jesus radicalizes this. As the youth have been seeing in their series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says we don't just love other Christians, other brothers and sisters, but we love even our enemies. That's a tough one, isn't it? We love even our enemies. And this becomes the jersey that we wear as Christians. Rich, I know you wear what the Juventus jersey for Ronaldo. And people go, oh, I know he likes Ronaldo. That's the team he follows. Well, friends, we wear a jersey, and it's called love. And so people see us and know us by the love that we express toward one another and toward other people. Another thing that Jesus trains us to do here is to minister like he did. Look here at Luke 4, 43 
and then 9, 1 to 2. I'm going to wrap up here. Jesus trained his disciples to love as he did and then to minister like he did. We see in Luke 4, 43, Jesus says to those around him, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And then look over five chapters in Luke 9, 1 to 2, Jesus has said, I'm sent for this purpose, and now he turns to the 12, and he gives them, he calls the 12 together and gives them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases, and what's it say at verse 2? He sends them out to speak like he did, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And we know that Jesus didn't just train those 12, he trained 70 as well. And Luke 10, 1 to 3 talks about that. We're not going to look at it, but I do want to mention this, what I call the 3-12-70 principle. And if you give yourself to this over time, you will learn from the model that Jesus gives us. He trained those 12, including one of them that would betray him. And within those 12, he had three that he focused on. And he invested extra time in them. Then he trained 70. Now, that doesn't mean that most of us are going to have literally three and 12 and 70. But the principle's there, isn't it? You can see it. That you can't go out. If you just run out and try to disciple and mentor large groups of people or accomplish things in larger groups, that's got limited effectiveness. Jesus is showing that you focus on a few people, maybe one, two, or three, and you can go deeper. The planting can go deeper. The focus, the empowerment, the attention. And then if you continue to practice this, the Lord may give you more people to invest in. So you may have concentric circles. You see the wisdom there, don't you? And I think Jesus did a pretty good job of it, starting with those 12 and with three, he turned the world upside down. It's the greatest movement in world history. Jesus also trained them to do the works of power like he did. John 14, 12 says this. I'm just going to read it. You can go back and look at it later. But Jesus turns to his disciples and says, very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, they will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father, because he was going to pour out the Spirit. And this came to pass. Can you imagine hearing that word, the disciples, greater works? Jesus, we've seen you drive out demons, legions of demons. We've seen you multiply bread. We've seen you raise Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus says, yeah, greater works. And then your followers will continue this tradition of greater works. Friends, the word of God says it. Greater works means greater works. In Acts 5, we see Peter doing many signs and wonders. His shadow was falling on people and healing them. And Acts 9, Peter raises Tabitha from the dead, just like Jesus raised Lazarus. And the word of God says it. As I shared, the Lord spoke to John Wimber and said, preach my word, not your experience. And friends, the word says it. You and I 
can do greater works. It's astounding. The last thing here as we wrap up is Jesus sent his disciples. I would say that all of this really, as we invest with people, things are usually more caught than taught. So we do, we teach them, we instruct them, but they're going to observe things in us, the people that we're discipling and mentoring and maybe even winning to Christ that we're evangelizing. They're going to see things. They're going to observe things. And that's part of that rabbinical method. Jesus would go out and do his thing, proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom. They would watch him. And then the rabbi would come alongside them and say, okay, it's your turn now. Why don't you go out? You 12 go out with the same message. Tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. Drive out demons, heal the sick, even raise the dead, and then we'll come back and talk about it. We'll debrief and process. It's as simple as that. Things are often more easily caught than taught. So Jesus sends his disciples We'll end with these two verses here, John 20, 21 through 22. Then we'll look at Matthew 28 and end with this, but John 20, 21 through 22. Jesus, this is a post-resurrection appearance, so he appears to his disciples and he says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So as Jesus was sent, so he sends his disciples and he sends you and me to share the same message, to do the same works, to see people liberated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's end with this, Matthew 28. Why don't we stand as we Read this, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Worship team, you can come up. I'll call up the ministry team in just a minute. <clears throat> Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It's good stuff looking at the master, isn't it? the master multiplier, the master disciple maker. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples, again, this is a post-resurrection appearance. They went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This great commission that we're familiar with is framed by two things, the authority of Jesus and his presence. And then it's four things there. You see those verbs, right? Going, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching. So I just want to end with, where's the Lord sending you, friends? Every single one of us, every follower of Jesus is called to work a mission field. You've already had someone come to mind 
Hopefully you'll reach out to them. I'm going to encourage you to do that today or tomorrow. Act on it. Reach out to someone and say, hey, let's go. Can we have lunch? Can we have coffee? Can we meet up? I'd, I would really like to spend time. I'd like to invest time. And, and the Lord's showing us here that we are called to serve in his mission field. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your example. And I just ask, Lord, through the power of your spirit, that you would raise us up like never before to be a multiplying church. That we would make disciples, we would invest in other people. There would be deep connections between the youngest and the oldest among us. That the fathers and mothers would invest in the younger ones. And Lord, you would do this. I ask for a work of God that we would see people one to Jesus and made into fully devoted followers of Jesus in the coming days.